This week's sponsor of the Ortho Show podcast is Koha Health. At Koha Health, their goal is to empower your practice to achieve total financial health. Their team of revenue cycle experts is here to guide your practice to success by improving your financial process so you can collect all the cash you are owed, providing a great patient experience, and creating your plan for what comes next for you and your partners. To learn more, visit kohahealth.com. That's K-O-H-A health.com. Okay, this is a really cool episode, I have to say. We're bringing on Michael Freehills, an orthopedic surgeon, sports medicine specialist, who is a former professional baseball pitcher for the California Angels and uh, started off his career in, in uh, San Diego, knew he wanted to go into medicine, which was truly fascinating in college, but yet was still a division one baseball uh, pitcher uh, and then gets drafted and goes into the major leagues and basically has like five years where he's uh, out of his medical career, uh, but then uh, decides to come back in and now has become a true force uh, in sports medicine. He's out at Stanford with Seth Sherman and really a great faculty out there. Uh, and is also now a part of Major League Baseball, has an amazing biomechanics lab. He's really making a true difference in developing the science of, of what we should be doing to make our athletes better when it comes to baseball. It's a great episode. You're going to love it. Dr. Sigmund, hashtag follow the fro. Check out the YouTube channel too. From Medical Media, this is The Author Show. Hello world, Dr. Scott Sigmund, your favorite opioid sparing orthopedic surgeon here for another episode of the Ortho Show podcast, where everyone knows we bring the best of the best in orthopedics. We're super excited to have one of our country's top uh, sports medicine and baseball specialists in particular, Dr. Michael Freehill, who's an orthopedic surgeon, sports medicine specialist, shoulder specialist at uh, Stanford, where he's the head team physician for the baseball team, as well as taking care of all the athletic teams out there. Also on the medical staff for the Oakland Athletics, deeply involved in Major League Baseball. Michael, it is a pleasure to see you. Thank you for taking some time out on the West Coast. Yeah, it's good to be here. Thanks for having me. Great honor. Yeah, no, my pleasure. So first and foremost, Stanford Baseball. How you guys doing? You in the World Series? You getting there? What's happening? Yeah, it's exciting. They won last night in their regional against Texas A&M. So now they go to the Super Regionals, which is here at Stanford as well at Texas Texas Longhorns come to town, and if they win that, then they would they'd go to the College World Series again for the third year in a row. Oh man, that's fantastic! It's all because of the outstanding medical care that they're being provided by Doctor Freehill and staff. I don't know about that, but <laughs> no, that's awesome. <laughs> good to be involved. No, I love it. So let's tell your story. Um, in particular, we always like to start at the beginning. You know, where were you born? Uh, you know, was it destined for orthopedics? Were there doctors in the family? You're the first doctor. Where did this whole thing start? No, um, I was born in Phoenix, Arizona. And, uh, and uh, you know, I don't know where I kind of got the bug, somewhere right around, right around starting college. But I ended up graduating from University of San Diego. Uh, and I played baseball there. It was kind of interesting, though, when I, when I uh, was there, you know, I realized that People, I went there as a as a position player, so I realized quickly that the hitters were a lot better, <laughs> or I I wasn't as good of a hitter, or I wasn't as good of a hitter as the coaches thought I was when I got there. And 
trying to stay up half the night and make sure I got good enough grades to get into medical school was very difficult. Um, so ultimately I got converted to a pitcher, you know, which was a uh, kind of divine intervention, if you will, because I just had some natural skill and, um, and was drafted, you know, after my senior year, which, you, you know, you kind of know that's coming a little bit, you know, early on, earlier on in your senior year. So you plan for that. So given the opportunity of it, you know, I wasn't going to say no to that. That's like a, every kid's dream. I think if you, at least if you're a baseball player, uh, so I went and did that, planning to do it for a year or maybe two, um, you know, and then it ended up being seven. <laughs> so all right, all right, so so let's get this straight. So you're 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 at UCSD. You're clearly USD, you know US. I'm sorry, USD. I apologize. You're USD. My apologies. And and you're there. Were you and and so you're playing baseball. You knew baseball was a passion. You were there, obviously, to to as an as a scholarship athlete. I'm assuming. And, and I mean, was medicine a part of the track at that point or were you just sort yeah, of like, I'm not I, sure. When I was at USD. The, uh, the irony to it is that I was much more geared towards getting into medical school than I was about, you know, playing, playing baseball, you know, and then, but this pitching thing started to really come to fruition a bit. And I just had started having some success. It didn't change <laughs> the fact that my ultimate dream was to go to medical school, but you know, all of a sudden now, you know, that changed my thought of, hey, it would be cool to say I played professional baseball, if only for a year or two. Um, so that's why I did it. Or I was fortunate enough to do it. You know, I got drafted by, they were the California Angels uh, then. And that was a pretty, uh, pretty wild experience. All right. So how tall are you? Six three. Six three. All right, that's pretty. That's pretty tall in the baseball world, especially for pitching, which does which does make a difference for arm speed, velocity. What your right hander or left hander? Right handed. Right handed. And so, I mean, when did they? I mean, you know, you think, you know, you hear these stories about, you know, starting so early in life, and you got to work your way up. And uh, I mean, so just one day, somebody threw you on the mound, and uh, you well, started I throwing. Mean, I had pitched. I had pitched in like little league and things like that. And I was always really good. But then when in high school, I really wanted to be a position player. I mean, you know, I, I was a shortstop. Um, and I, I was, I was, I think I was pretty good. Um, you know, I wasn't probably looking back, probably an adequate hitter, but I was good enough to end up at a division one program. Um, but, you know, so I always kind of had the really good arm. So, you know, it, again, this is kind of the divine intervention part of it. When you're at a school like USD, and I, where did you go to undergrad? I went to Tufts undergrad. I played lacrosse okay. back on yeah, the so, East Coast. Yeah. Yeah. So Tufts, same, you know, they're not, they're they're great schools, but they're not real big. So it's like if you're in, you know, have organic chemistry lab, it's not like there's six choices. You know, Correct. the labs for the chemistry stuff was were on Thursday afternoon. End of story. Right. There's no other time. Now, fortunately, that's not a game day, but that is a practice day. And, you know, and I, again, my goal was to get into medical school. So it's an interesting conversation with the coaches. It's like, you know, I have to be at these labs. It's hard to be a position player when you're there. And then, you know, putting all these pieces together, they're like, you know what? They put me in the bullpen. They said, you got to have a great arm. You have natural ability. This would make life, you'd be happier. It'd be better for us. You throw, do your throwing, do your running, and then run off the lab with all the other, you know, brainy kids and, and the rest of the team will practice down here. <laughs> you know, I, th I think that's amazing because there just are not a lot 
of professional baseball players that had aspirations of becoming a physician. It's just just those two things don't typically go together. Uh, and no disrespect to professional baseball players, but you know that's it is pretty rare. So interest. So so you do well enough. I mean, obviously you get drafted by the Angels. Um, and then, and you, you now, did, and you were on the roster. Were you the major league baseball yeah, so, roster? You know, it's interesting because the, uh, the Angels, and I don't know how much of these details you want, but I find them kind of interesting. Yeah, you know, the Gene Autry family owned the Angels for a long time, and when I was got drafted, and they were, you know, the California Angels, Autry family owned them. Much different. The philosophy was very interesting. They were much heavier on drafting college kids, and they would throw you into the fire. Most of the most of the draft guys were were going to Boise, Idaho to to the Northwest League, which is short season A. And they would drop all these college guys into there and they sold out every night. They expected you to win the championship. And it didn't matter where you came from. It was just like trial by fire and you kind of sank or or swam. And you know, so the the washout in that first year is pretty heavy. And then, you know, you go to spring training the next year. And it's interesting, Scott, because I don't know if the fact that I was more serious, not, I don't want to say serious, but more, you know, like the passion and the goal of going to medical school and just treating, you know, not putting too much pressure on myself in a sport to make it seem like, you know, it was, that's all I had. And if I didn't make it, you know, and I don't know if that's why I had so much success early, but I, I very, very well may have, cause I did, you know, really well, um, that second year and, you know, in pro ball, they teach you. I mean, they said, they told me right away, they said, you know, you, you have pretty good stuff right now. Um, but, and you really don't know how to pitch very well. We're, we're going to build up your body and teach you mechanically how to, how to, how to do these things on a side note, right when I was drafted, you might find this interesting Lewis Yoakum. You remember Dr. Yeah. Yoakum, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah. So he's the angels team doctor. So very first day, you know, we get drafted, all the draft guys go to, Tempe to get our physical exams. And, and, uh, by this time, you know, I knew I was interested in, you know, medical school and likely orthopedic surgery. And I said, Oh my gosh, this is amazing. You're doing what I want to do. And he's looking at me like, what is going on here? Yeah, there's no chance. I mean, <laughs> never. but every year I would talk to him, but it's funny. Cause you know, he said, you have a loose arm and, um, that's probably why you can do what you can do, but you know, you got to really be careful. And at that time, no one was talking about scapular dyskinesia and, Gerd, oh. crazy thing. You uh, know, I did my I did my fellowship at Curling Job, and so oh, Lou Yoakum was one, one of my mentors, and we helped yeah. take care for the. I was there in 95, 96. You know, we would drive down to Anaheim and help out to take care of the team. But I, I, you know, I think the pitching is. This is what I want to sort of get to. I mean, it's such an unnatural thing. I always joke around about the shoulder. Right, the greatest thing about the shoulder is its is its range of motion. The worst thing about its about the shoulder is its range of motion. And if you truly watch the mechanics in the video of the position of the arm that major league baseball players and pitchers put their arm in it's just crazy and so the idea of the the nolan ryans of the world that you know can go for 20 years and be able to continue to pitch is such a rare experience and you know i, I wanted to talk about what you what you do in the science of baseball as we get going but it seems to me like you know it sounds to me like your arm uh, burned out you had some trouble with your shoulder you needed some surgery yeah, I mean, it's kind of, well, again, you know, if you, I did well that, that second full season, I, you know, I, I think I still have a saves record in Cedar Rapids for the Colonels. And they've <laughs> okay. they minor league baseball there since 1915. 
<laughs> uh, anyway, I think that might be true, but yeah, but if then all of a sudden, if, you know, you kind of that kind of jumped me up to more of a prospect level, and then they say, okay, go to winter ball. So the next thing you know, I'm I'm at you know in in uh, well, it was nice that year. I was in Hawaii, but it's two more months, and you're with a lot of throwing. That's a lot of pitching, a lot of reps, a lot of pitching, and then the and but I did really well. Get home in mid December. And then uh, Bill Bavese was the GM for the major league team. He called me, he said, we're going to bring you to major league camp as a non-roster guy. And that wow. fast, that was only a year and a half in. And, you know, that starts in mid-February. So now, you know, you don't have a lot of time to rest your arm and build your body back up. So then you're at big league camp, then you go to minor league camp, then you're off to pitch your season. You know, and I think, you know, I led the minors, our organization in appearances that year. And then, same thing. Now it's your protection year. And they say, well, we want you to go pitch in Mexico. Oh, God. And then you're like, well, if I my arm's starting to hurt, if I say no, then it kind of makes you look weak. Um, and they might not put you on the 40-man roster or or you go. So, you know, you go there. Then they put me on the 40-man roster. My arm starts getting tired. I come back. I'm back at spring, Major League Spring Training. Go off to the season. Led the minor leagues again. Didn't have such a great year. But now you're like, they say, well, we want you to go to Arizona Fall League. Well, same thing. Now it's like, well, if I say no, do I get taken off the roster? So this is the violent uh, circle, Scott. But yeah. then I ended up getting shut down there. And then, you know, I just couldn't bounce back for spring training. And ultimately, you know, we tried the non-op stuff. And then, you know, in, in this was 1998. You know, I, the joke is, you know, this was the hot thing at the time. But Oh, yeah. Dr. Yoakum, and he's like, this is what people are doing. I mean, this would give you a shot just doing the thermal capsulography. I didn't know as much about it then as I know now, but the bottom line was we exhausted the conservative stuff. Um, and it was an interesting phenomenon, right? Because I think it, it's better. It's good now. At the time, it was very difficult, but it's good now because when you're on the other side and you've had, let's say in this case, a shoulder surgery and you kind of feel those ups and downs and feel like every single you know, tweet, oh my, something's wrong. I feel a little tweak in my shoulder in this post-op period or, you know, there, it's just, there's so much mental side of that. Having gone through that, I think the discussions with um, taking care of players, especially baseball players is is a little more natural. Um, and, and I think they trust it a bit, having gone through it. But, you know, I came back and ended up getting released when I couldn't come back. <laughs> but once you're on a 40 man, because pitching's at such a premium, you know, you have some value, even if you can't throw the ball across the street. Um, but, you know, I ended up with Texas and it was good because I wanted to put closure on it. The Rangers and got back up to triple A. But I'll tell you, Scott, it was interesting because I went from a point where I couldn't throw at all to a point where I, I could throw. But it was not, never the same, like just the electricity. It was gone. It was kind of, it's kind of like <laughs> a dull light bulb versus like a laser yeah, and, of course. And bouncing back was very difficult. So even though I got back up to Triple A, you know, the last season playing, you know, it was amazing. I was out there on the mound, and it was more of a game of trying to fool guys. It certainly wasn't. It it, it just it was interesting, and it, it was. I knew yeah, it was going to happen, but I retired and um, on my own accord. May I add, <laughs> not to say that, but uh, 
Uh, we, we won't go into the details, but I did go and play in Europe just leading up to med school. But that last year, I had to retake my MCAT. It expired after five years. Oh, man. So before my last <laughs> season, I'm at home and I'm doing my extra workouts and throwing and studying for the MCAT. And if you haven't had physics in eight years, it's not so easy. <laughs> no, no, And I'm at spring no. training, like looking at MCAT books and stuff. This is before everyone had laptops. And then I took that. And then, but it, I, you know, when I was in AAA, all those cities were, you know, have med schools. And I mean, they're basically like big league cities. And I would go to the different cities and go to the med school during the day and introduce myself and say, my application's coming. This is my story. And more places than not were were uh, interested in the story, so it probably gave me a little bit of a, a benefit. I like to think, um, and I and I ended up at Tulane. Yeah, no, that's a that's a, a remarkable story. I mean, and for our listeners, you had this crazy operation, you know, back in nineteen ninety eight ninety nine called thermal capsulography, where we would take this heat wand, and I'm three years into practice at that point. I just finished my curling joke fellowship. And you take this heat wand and you would shrink the capsule because it was too loose and you wanted to try and tighten the shoulder up. And it seemed like a decent idea, except for the fact that as a general, these types of heat things kill cells and then create all kinds of trauma and it got overused. And then there was a lot of injuries. And then we kind of figured out that it wasn't the best long-term solution. Uh, but I think it's fascinating that you were still able to get back with the mound. But then I think, you know, you know, First and foremost, I, I just think of Lou Yoakum right now, God rest his soul. And and here, you know, you, you could have like sort of called Lou when this is all said and done and you get into medical school and you're like, I told you I was going to medical school. Dr. Oh, Yoakum, you, but, well, it was yeah. awesome. I mean, he became a mentor, especially once I started med school with, you know, where I would rotate for, you know, my fourth year rotations and him guiding me. And I mean, he became a great mentor in that. But, you know, um, the thing about that, whole experience on a side note you might like this and that i think michael maloney was the fellow that was in on my case oh no kidding um, we're pretty sure and his younger brother i played pro ball with who got oh, the that's, big so there you go so the baseball keeping <laughs> the baseball circle in and as yeah. a candidate for medical school i you know if you think about all the applications that come through everybody's more or less the same right everybody's got good grades they've done their research but you're like no i was a professional baseball player i'm kind of cool so yeah that type of thing i'm sure helps so so then you go so you go to tulane um and you know the first two names that pop up into my brain although i'm not sure if mike o'brien was there but and even brian was, was a fourth year med student when i was a first year med student Okay, perfect. I love that. And so had Buddy made it from Mississippi Buddy, to Pennsylvania? Buddy not there yet because he came after Katrina. After Katrina, I exactly. I graduated three months before Katrina hit. Got it. Okay. So so these these uh so I love the fact that you and Michael are contemporaries and uh having spent some time. So at Tulane, you decide or you knew you were doing orthopedics. That was never yeah. it was never an issue. Um and so and then you get to Hopkins for residency and uh you know, I grew up in Baltimore, so I, I know that drill. I actually went to the University of Maryland for medical school. I was there, I don't know, in the early 90s or something like that. But, uh, you know, Hopkins is you know, just a wonderful, you know, medical school training ground, et cetera. Do you want to throw out some shout outs to some of your orthopedic uh, docs that sort of helped you along the way? Well, yeah, I mean, I just gave grand rounds there recently, so it's pretty awesome. But, but yeah, I mean, they, I had some I had tr some tremendous mentors there. I mean, that... Uh, 
you know, Ed McFarland, you know, kind of, he was a old, you know, KJ guy as well. And I think he probably, Lou Yoakum wrote a letter, one of my letters that I probably, my, my, my application probably got in front of the right eyes at the right time. You know, there's a lot of luck involved in all this, but Dr. John Wilkins, I don't know if you know him. He took care of Navy for a long time, took care of the Orioles, Andy Cosgaria. Um, you know, there, there are a lot of them in all these different fields that were just, uh, you know, great mentors and certainly were highly responsible for getting me on my way. And you, and you knew it was going to be, you were going to do sports, right? I mean, that was your destiny all but along. It or? was, but you know, it's interesting, Scott, because I wanted to do, I wanted to take care of athletes, especially baseball athletes, but I wanted to take care of athletes, but I was like fascinated by the shoulder thing. So I wanted to be, I wanted to be like able to do anything in the shoulder. So when I started looking at this, I thought to myself, you know, I, I think I need to do two fellowships to really be able to do uh, kind of branch off into some of the shoulder stuff I wanted to, um, you know, well, you're, you're only seven years behind at that point, having spent <laughs> all that time playing baseball, yeah. you know, every, yeah. everybody that's, else has sort well, of already got the job. another so, year. <laughs> right. Exactly. All right. So, so you do, you did sports medicine, you went to Stanford, you know, yeah. which was, which, which was great. Well, Cause what, you know, Mark Safran was here and, Again, you know, talking to, you know, my mentors, Stanford was unique in the fact that they had some pro teams. They have obviously Stanford sports. So we had all, I mean, we just covered the gamut with what you get. So like coming here was perfect to learn how to take care of athletes, right? Sure. To take, and not, and I'm not just talking about surgeries because they change all the time, but you know, how do you deal with coaches? How do you deal with parents? How do you deal with athletic trainers? How do you, there's a lot of fabric there that it's easy to take advantage of probably the best part for all of us and the easiest part for all of us is doing the surgery. Absolutely. It's all the social aspect that integrates into that world. Yeah, and no, and that's a, that's a great point. I mean, uh, you know, Curl and Joe, you know, the Harvard program, you know, you know, um, Jim Andrews, I mean, you know, HSS, there were certain places that you not, you, you exactly that you learned how to manage teams, how to manage athletes and be able to take care of them. Uh, on the field as well as off the field, which I think is was was terrific. But then, you know, you still really wanted to know more about the shoulder, and yeah. you wanted to take a deep dive on the shoulder. So you you come to Boston, 2012, and you join the Harvard Shoulder Service with I'm sure you know, JP was there leading. Larry Higgins was at the Brigham at the time. Yeah. I mean, it was really one of the top shoulder fellowships in the country. It was amazing. And then you know, and part of that was you know the built-in European experience. You know, so I did a month in Lyon with Jills Walsh and a month in Honesty with Laurent Lafosse. Yeah, great, great stuff. I mean, that's insane. Yeah, right? no, great. Yeah, you're learning from the best for sure. And the French my, royalty. My co-fellows that year were Albert Lynn. Yeah. At Pitt, who's a total rock star. We got to get Al on the show. Yeah. He's, he's due up for sure. And then Louis Sheed, you know, Louis at University of Chicago. No, I don't know Lewis. He did Harvard, his training all the way through. Very, really smart publishing machine. Very. Those Harvard guys are all the all the ones that go all the way through, man. They just they just know the literature. They know it all great. And then there was a uh, the six month fellow, you know, that because there's a six month fellow when the other three go to Europe uh, was Arnold Alcaza, who's still in the area. Sure. Residents and does a, does a lot of hand, but crosses over into the shoulder. Yeah, that's awesome. What a great year. Was there, were there any, so, but you, you did, I know it wasn't part of the sports side, but you, did you help cover games as well while you were there or no? 
The pro no, teams? No, I didn't. Yeah. yeah. I okay. I coming, so I didn't while I was there. Yeah, no, I know because there's always a crossover with the sports fellowship there too, which those guys did most of the of the coverage. So, all right. So at this point, you're pretty prepared, man. You know a lot of this baseball stuff. You've been trained as an orthopedic surgeon. You know what to do with sports medicine. Now you're really great in the shoulder. And off to Wake Forest to sort of start, you know, or become the director of sports medicine right from the get-go. Was it? Uh, well, was that the, the job? From the get-go, I wasn't the director. Okay. This goes back to you know being right place at the right time. David Martin, uh, who's now the you know the executive director of the ABOS, he was the head of sports uh, ortho for a long time at Wake and took care of all the teams. But he was an old Hopkins resident, so he knew some of the people at Hopkins. Sure. Knew me, and then. When I would help John Wilkins cover Navy football game, they were playing Wake, and he put me on the other sideline with David Martin. Oh, nice, nice! <laughs> so, I so love it. Just right place at the right time, but that was a great place to start. Um, you know, I mean, I took care of the minor league team, uh, the Winston Salem Dash right away, White Sox affiliate. So that was great, and then uh, Wake Forest baseball. Uh, Dr. Martin gave me that right out of the shoot, and then I would help with the other sports. It's interesting, but Wake was kind of the crown jewel, if you will. But, you know, there was a, a another Division II school in town called Winston-Salem State, uh, you know, which is which is an all-African-American school. And I'll tell you, it was, Amer it was amazing. Because for the first four years, that's what I covered, football and basketball. And it was fantastic. You know, so, so often, we you know, we want to get – you know, you want to take care of the Red Sox, but taking care of the minor league team in Lowell probably will give you the foundation to get there. And, you know, I I was lucky because I had the minor league team and I had Wake Baseball, but I'll tell you, taking care of Winston-Salem State, all those, those kids were awesome. And they were very thankful that you would come around and you'd be there. It was an awesome experience. And I think that gave me a pretty decent, you know, foundation as well early on. Yeah, I mean, the, the days of nepotism and dropping into a job just because, you know, somebody just says you should do it, that's, you need a pedigree. You know, you need to have a track record. Uh, life is all about relationships. I love how, you know, you're on the field, you know, uh, you know, taking care of Navy, and then you go over to meet the people at Wake Forest. That wasn't by accident. It's the relationships that you make, which you still hold to this day. And then the pedigree of, of sort of learning and working your way up through the system uh, to be able to get to the point where you become a part of the major leagues. It's just like being a player, right? You got to work your way, you know, up through the process. And so, that it was it was great foundational years for you in Wake Forest. It sounds, uh, yeah, which the, really helped to build your practice. Is, you know, we had that that baseball experience, and for you know, I was very interested in what Jimmy Andrews and Glenn Fleissig had done, and they changed baseball science. Quite frankly, right? They were the they yes. were they were the groundbreakers, and I wanted to be able to do that, like build on what they had done, and wanted to build some 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 kind of center, some kind of place that we could really take off and you know I was pretty close with the head coach there Tom Walter who I mean they're ranked number one in the nation there he's, he's just done a phenomenal job and it's like the best human being you can meet um, but we had this talked about building this pitching lab there and and you know to their credit that you know it's there and it's it was it was it's kind of one of the first of its kind to that degree um, so you know, at this point, you have to start, I, you know, I wanted to keep chiseling up and I did want to be involved with the Major League Baseball team, if at all possible. 
I wanted to keep expanding my career. You know, in the academic game, you want to keep kind of chipping your way up. I we always the goal was to get back to Stanford. You know, quite frankly, from the start. You spent a little bit of time in Michigan on the way. Uh, yeah. So then when I started getting recruited by some other places, you know, the job wasn't quite a perfect fit at Stanford, but there was certainly some resources from, let's say, an academic uh, standpoint that I could get at Michigan. It was a great, great Ann Arbor is a great place to raise a family. Um, I knew Steve Lemos from prior who has taken care of the teams in Detroit for a long time and has had the Tigers for like 15 years and had recruited me in the past to join them. So we had a relationship so I could be at Michigan with Michigan sports. Um, you know, we had Eastern Michigan sports and then uh, Dr. Lemos brought me on to be one of the Tigers doctors. So that's yeah, kind of hard to say no to Sure. When you put all those pieces together. And, you know, it was hard to leave wake because there's comfort there and, and, you know, at the baseball situation and, but, but, you know, you got to keep crawling and keep growing and, and it, it was hard, but it was good and it was exciting. And we we're like, okay, this is a good place. And this is where we'll stay. We're only going to move for Stanford. Um, you know, and then it, that kind of came to fruition. So. How long were you in Michigan before you got the call to go to Stanford? Three years. Yeah. But, you know, it, it, I find it fascinating because, you know, very early on in your career, you were able to to really sort of stay the path of what you really wanted to do and, and stay focused. And again, I liken it almost to being, you know, in, in the world of baseball. You, know, you start at the minors and then, you know, you just work your way up. And as you gain experience and you, you know, your, your reputation grows and uh, then you work your way up. And so then you get the call to the big leagues for you, which was to, you know, head back to Stanford uh, to be able to take on the position there. And, and I'm assuming that you were offered, you know, team position for the baseball team as part of the deal as you were coming on board. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was the thing because Mark Safran was a great, has always been a great mentor and, you know, he brought Seth Sherman back and Jeff, I mean, he's, he's really built up, I think a, a pretty cool team. And we all get along really well. So he brought me back and he gave me the baseball, which was awesome. I had the A's uh, situation set up because I, I, I don't know if you know, Will Workman, great guy. He's taken care of the A's for probably 11 or 12 years. And I could go right in and be his assistant, which was fantastic. You know, we could build a baseball, we call it the baseball science core. And, you know, Bill Maloney's our chairman here, who who's uh, an incredible leader. And I spoke to him about, you know, doing this kind of baseball science core and, you know, this vision and, you know, he believed in it. So he let me hire uh, someone to do the sports biomechanics, the baseball biomechanics for us, which is huge, Scott, because if you want to do that stuff, you know, you have to have your Glenn Fleissig or it's not going to go. Yeah, no, I mean, that's where I wanted to go next, because I think that, you know, what you're doing now, I, I take a look back at, you know, Thermal, all the way from thermal capsulography to you as a patient to, you know, at Curlin Joe, we had the, the biomechanics lab as well. We were very fortunate, you know, very early, very early on in the process to be a part of that. I did, did some research with the team there. But that type of the science behind this is so important because, you know, baseball puts a lot of stress and strain onto our young kids and our athletes and being able to help out to understand it. I'm, the thing that I'm thinking that about right now is artificial intelligence and somehow incorporating AI, you know, get all of the video from all of the greatest, you know, pictures and throw it into the computer and then 
come out with some ideas and concepts of perhaps the best, you know, uh, a throwing mechanism that could be out there. But but tell us about tell us more about about your, the core lab and, and what you're doing there. I know you're very proud of that uh, and, and how that's helping to really make a difference in the lives of of young baseball athletes. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because it's kind of like you have to, we get stuck in in a little bit of tunnel vision and I'm certainly guilty of this. So, you know, my thought when I came was, okay, I've been cleared to let, let's hire this, this person. And a lot of people applied for this and a, and a guy named Bryson Nakamura, who's, you know, pretty well known in the biomechanic baseball world. He was with the Milwaukee Brewers kind of heading up their baseball biomechanics and you know how well they're you know they had done for years being the smallest market team in the big leagues and uh and i you know i was fortunate because he was interested in in kind of pursuing a different route and maybe going the academic route a little bit and kind of building something grassroots so he came and it's interesting because of his experiences you know my thought was okay we're going to build this you know, like, wait, we're going to build this lab, this pitching lab, we're going to this structure, and it's going to have cameras, this kind of, but it was, it was kind of like the tunnel vision, where when he came, he, he kind of changed why he said, you know, let's do this. He said, you know, because you have to build it by pieces, you, you're very rarely going to be a situation where it's just like, here's, you know, unlimited funding and buy whatever you want, and do whatever you want, you know, you have to build this. He said, a lot of people have the some kind of lab now and they're just doing the you know the videos and everything he said let's to, let's flip it he said let's flip it where they're not in a practice mode let's make the lab the sunken diamond the actual game stadium so tra a lot of people have trackman we had trackman but we were the first to have kinetrax cameras you know all over the stadium so every single pitch that's being thrown we're getting biomechanical data on and he said, let's do that because in-game data is what no one has and what is so valuable. And then we'll, and later we'll pick back up on the lab practice stuff, which I thought was genius, right? No, remarkable. I mean, where we are, but you know, it moves slow. It's a slow moving train, Scott. I mean, it's a different thing in the big leagues in a pro setting than it is at a major university institution there's red tape it just it, things move slow you just have to slowly chip away and be patient and none of us really are <laughs> i mean I, I love i mean i think of the tech not that technology used by the coaching staff right to be able to analyze where's okay. the shot where's the ball going position people over in here you know in basketball for example as well but the idea of actually taking those cameras now and using it to watch and be able to improve on the biomechanics to be keep people healthy, perhaps have you know longevity, uh, I think you know is wonderful. I think that's a really cool idea, very unique. No, it's cool. And again, it gets back to even though I, I know a little bit about pitching, I would think, and you know a little bit about biomechanics. I don't know nearly what somebody who's a PhD in biomechanics knows. So I think a, a lot of times if you look in orthopedic literature, and I'm sure, I mean, you see this at meetings, a, a lot of this data comes spewing out and in sports science, all this data, I and mean, it's like, well, what does this data mean? You know, all the data in the world, but if you don't have someone that knows how to define it, how do you take yeah. the data and objectively make a change? That might be mechanics, that might be whatever, sports performance. Um, so having that is key. And you can build research on that and everything else. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that's uh, 
What a great program. Great. I, it's so funny, you know, Seth Sherman, I just commented on Greg DeFelice's ACL repair. And he was talking about the Sherman classification of ACLs, which I'm sure you know, it was Seth's father that came yeah. up with that classification. So, I mean, I'm always so proud of our ortho show alumni. I always like to give them shout outs where we can. But uh, what are your other things, which I know that you spend a lot of time on, which is a very popular, you know, commentary, which I'd love for our listeners to know is get a, a sense from you is really is pitch counts in adolescence, right? That's one of the things that you know, coaches and parents are always so worried about. And can you just give us a brief description of, you, of where you think we are right there, right there now, as far as that's concerned? Yeah, I've done a lot with that. And I have some, you know, stuff that's going to get published here pretty quick on all that. You know, it, 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 this, this again, Scott, I went backwards and really tried to drill down at a more fundamental level. I think it's too easy. We, you know, it's so easy to want to solve that quickly. And I just don't, I think it, there's so many variables to that. Um, I think that pitch counts as they stand are, uh, they're nice for younger kids because there's some kind of framework. I don't think there's a lot of science there yet, um, like strong science. We published a paper, you know, MLB funded uh, a, a study of mine and we took one travel team. This just got uh, published in, in OJSM, but you know, we look, we got, every single throw a kid made you know i had uh it wasn't it wasn't like a modus it was a it was like a sensor with the engineers at university of michigan we had it up under their sleeve up in a cut down evo shield up high so they could wear it at all times there was nothing illegal but we could record every single pitch they every throw they made and then we had the you know we knew the days they pitched and we had pitch charts and everything else the bottom line was like how much throwing does somebody do on a day that they pitch and for that 10, 11 year old team on a day they pitched, the number of pitches that were counted towards their total throw count was 21%. Really? So, yeah. That makes you think it's like, okay. And then you're looking at their pitch count. Okay. By the, by the, you know, the rules that are accepted, their pitch count is what 75 pitches. And that's only 21% of so, so all the throws that they made on that given day. Right. So that that's the point. And, you know, to give a shout out to like Harold Reynolds, who's on, you know, Major League Baseball Network and a great when I came across his path, he he was very interested in this because I think it's more of a throw count issue than a pitch count issue. Pitch count. And um, and obviously some players are at higher risk than others. Um, so and the, the other thing with the pitch count is maybe it's different now than it was and and I'll, and I'll give John Smoltz the the credit on this one too he's a big believer in you know you don't have to throw it as hard as you can every single time but we're kind of in a day and age now where that almost seems to be the case you know it's like the harder you can throw the better you can throw but do you need to throw your full velocity every time or you know can you do you can you mix up your speeds of your fastball and then when you have to have a you know your greatest intensity your highest leverage fastball you can call on it how much toll does that take? I don't know. Um, so I think it's a work in progress. You know, also if you're a if you're a 14 year old kid who matured early and weighs you know 170 pounds, can should your pitch count be the same as the kid who's going to mature late and weighs 130 pounds? I probably not. You know, really, really fascinating things. One thing's for sure. I feel really good. Because we have Michael Freehill on the case, 
for all of these important <laughs> questions. You built yourself a, you know, a amazing sort of biomechanical lab. You're partnering with the right people. You're really, you're, you're, you're fascinated on the process of this. You're going to help us to figure it out. We're going to keep listening. We're going to keep watching. But Michael, this is exactly why I love, you know, the Ortho Show because we get to talk to people that have just such unique, you know, incredible stories. Here you were, you know, a major league baseball player hanging out with Lou Yoakum, you know, and then next thing you know, here you are taking care of uh, amazing athletes within the baseball world, as well as all your sports medicine work, all the, the hard research and literature and the, the teaching and the mentorship that you do at this point, memberships of societies. So what a wonderful career. And you've got so much more to go. And we really can't thank you enough for all that you've done in the world of baseball and orthopedics and for taking out the time to share with us today. Yeah, no, I appreciate it, Scott. It's a great honor. I, I think that we'll probably fast forward a year or two down the road. I have some interesting stuff coming that you will you will love. I don't want to let the cat out of the bag, but I do think it's going to be revolutionary from both an injury standpoint as well as a sports performance standpoint. Well, we're going to bring you back on the show, brother, for another round so you can educate our listeners and on what I think is really just an incredibly important topic. So, Michael, thank you again for taking the time out of your busy schedule. We appreciate you so much. All right. Thanks so much. Great honor. A great show. Thanks, guys. This is Dr. Scott Sigmund, hashtag follow the fro, host of the Ortho Show. Till next time.